TJ, what if I used my I Me Mine book by George Harrison as a way to slate, you know, like an actual slate? Can we know? slate our I Me Mines together? Let me grab mine. Oh, sure. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, TJ, in Florida, they don't let you slap your I Me Mines together. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. That's what's killing the kids. Um, so should we slate from the same page? Sure. Uh, I'm on page 120. What what page do you want to be on? Well, I'm on page 264, which in my copy is Give Me Love. Not Give More Love. He doesn't talk about the Ringo Starr tune on here. Give More Love. Sixty-four. That is my. Um, that is all. Interesting. Oh, we must have different editions. <laughs> I've got a more. I've got a. Re- I never had this book, so I bought a recent one. When oh, it came out about again about ten years ago. I never had one. Yeah, you've got a big like dictionary sized one. I love that the slate so has I've become. We're doing a deep dish. <laughs> <laughs> the slate is a deep dish. <laughs> I mind the book. <laughs> the myriad pressings. Right. Well, because we're on different pressings, I'm gonna I'm gonna slate from page 120. <laughs> well, I'm gonna we, slate from page 264. Okay, I'm on while my guitar gently weeps. All right. Never heard of that one. Ready? It's three, two, one. Oh my news! Untitled Beatles podcast. <laughs> I accidentally slammed the book in my nudes. Oh, see? That's why they made that law in Florida. <laughs> A lot of good laws in Florida. Yeah, don't slap your Imy minds together. Welcome to the Untitled Beatles <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm Tony. And why do they want to go across the universe? Our country ain't good. I'm TJ and I'm angry and I don't know why. I'm just kind of programmed that way by the media I consume. Go on. This is the Angry Beatles podcast. We're going to piss you off. You're going to get pissed off and then we're going to piss you off. That's the twist. That's how we do it. Yeah. We call it double pissing. (laughs) Didn't my frat. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, today we're going to cover the... Uh, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of George Harrison's Living in the Material World, so we're going to do a deep dish on that one. I'm looking forward to that with you, yeah, TJ. Yeah. Me too. Uh, of course, if you like uh, us, feel free to express that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google. I don't know, man. However you listen to the podcast, feel free to like and subscribe. Leave us a kind review. We're on the Patreon as well. Uh, it helps. Uh, yeah. Like, TJ, you just got a brand new mic that's very similar to my microphone. And we're on the same kind of microphone uh, universe now. A microphone check one, two. What, what is, is this? this? The five for the something with the roughneck business. Call me Papa. You know why? Why? Papa, gr- <laughs> <laughs> Papa got a brand new mic. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we call that parody writing. <laughs> yeah, you just, wow. Papa needs a brand new bit. <laughs> <laughs> so much to like. Papa got a brand new mic. (laughs) Sure. Presents James Brown. The women love you when you get out there. Why is that, ladies? Well, I'm asking you. Huh? Because I look good. You look good. I smell good. good. I feel good. And you sing good. And make love good. Oh. 
Jam. Uh, well, yeah. Should we just get right into it? I, I, I don't know. I had so much fun playing Trivial Pursuit with you last week, TJ. We should uh, pick that back up sometime soon. That was so fun last week before our ten minute break. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, Letterman? We're taping two shows on Thursday to make him think we got a new show Friday. No, they did two shows Wednesday. Is that what it was? I never knew For- that. Because Friday was always a rerun. Uh, which which Letterman we talking? In the eighties, he was only on Monday. NBC. Through, Monday. Okay, NBC. He was only on Monday through Thursday. Remember that? Because of Friday night videos. Because of Friday night videos. Yes, 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 yes. Tonight, it's Friday night videos, and we'll celebrate by featuring special appearances by Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, Phil Collins, Paul McCartney, Yoko Ono. Jay Leno, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Pat Sajak, Hulk Hogan, Dr. Ruth. Winnie Houston, you are. You are the first, you are the first female artist in the 80s to have back-to-back number one singles. Mm-hmm. You're like the Beatles of the 80s. Did I have anything I wanted to say? Actually, man, let's I want to talk about this for a minute. And this is uh, I don't even have mm-hmm. this in my notes, but this happened while we were doing the podcast when we were starting up maybe a couple of years ago. I forget what, during COVID. But someone had unearthed a, a 1968 recording, and it features Ringo and George playing on this, um, I want to say it's like a Hare Krishna type of song. But it sounds it sounds great. Um, Is it real? Have we confirmed it's real? It sounded good to me. Here, let me pull it up. Oh. <laughs> well, then that's that. <laughs> You know, here, here, ultimateclassicrock.com. A previously unheard 1968 song featuring George Harrison and Ringo Starr has been released with all proceeds reportedly going to charity. You can listen to Radhe Sham below. The track was rediscovered by a friend of writer and producer Suresh Joshi during quarantine. I wonder if that's Sajel's uncle or something. That'd be cool. Right? Love Sajel. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Uh, I do more. Me. Me more. Me. <laughs> All through the day. I, me too. I, me too. I, me too. If I was you, I'd want to be me too. I'd want to be me too. I'd want to be me too. Roddy Sham dates back to his soundtrack work for a documentary called East Meets West at Trident Studios. Harrison and Starr stop by while on a break from nearby sessions for Hey Jude. So Josh, he's a 75-year-old UK-based broadcaster. Yeah, somewhere along the way, Roddy Sham ended up tucked away in his loft, and he found it, like, during COVID. Rowdy Rowdy Sham? <laughs> I got to meet Rowdy Rowdy Piper uh, the day before I flew to Cuba. 
I met Rowdy Rowdy Piper in, in Toronto. I had to fly. I had to go to Toronto and then fly to Cuba through Toronto. Did you meet him on purpose? Yeah, he was. Was it an accident? No, uh, my friend Becky Johnson was doing a uh, an improv show in Toronto, and he was one of the like he got. I saw him improvise with my friend Becky on stage. He was, he did an improv set. That's cool. <laughs> I got my picture taken with him. He was great. Yeah, uh, R.I.P. Man, rest in power. He was a, he was cool. I liked him. Bull-legged, big, fat, ugly penguin. You know what? You both stay. He came in the studio. And I knew right away I was going to like him. He was full of himself, and man, I mean talent. We were the Beatles, man. Anyway, here's a snippet now of Rowdy Rowdy Piper singing ah. Rowdy Sham. It does go on. I will say it, it does go on, but uh, I did so like did it. So did Hey Jude. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Makes sense. There you go. Yeah. Well, TJ, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Living in the Material World, which came out May 30th, 1973 in the US. Came out in June in the UK, but that doesn't matter. We're in the US, TJ. So let's celebrate. Yeah. Looks like there's no R-O-C-U-K in the UK. <laughs> Cougar. No, just Ruck, Alan Ruck, who's great. We love Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck is living in the UK. <laughs> Alan Ruck's living in the UK. Like the best part of Farm Aid. <laughs> Drove us, tried to reverse the mileage on his dance car while Cougar's rocking out. Don't forget James Brown, in the USA. I put up with everything. My old man pushes me around. I never say anything. Who do you love? Who do you love? You love a car. Living in the Material World. Do you consider this to be his second album, or do you consider it to be his fourth studio album? Well, there's well, there's Wonderwall. And then there's his lone entry into the Zapple catalog. Right, electronic <laughs> sound. And All Things Must Pass, which is, I mean, technically, I mean, it's it's one album, but it's kind of two albums when you count the, you know, the, the Jams album. Yeah. I know it's part of it, but yeah. And it actually is a triple album, so in a way, this could be his fourth album. <laughs> that way. Yeah. That's, Studio uh, album. Yeah. Because Bangladesh was also a triple album, but that was a live endeavor. Bangladesh, Bangladesh, where so many people, a looks like a man. To me, 
it's the second record, you know. I, I, I always feel like Wonderwall and Electronic Sound are the same as like Two Virgins and Life with the Lions and all that. Like I don't really I don't really count those as proper solo records. Yeah, that's a fair point. Much like the Family Way isn't the McCartney solo record. Right, right. Okay. So we'll call it his second album. Yeah. Even though technically it's his fourth studio album, but well, in but our hearts it's his second record. The Beatles' second album is really the Beatles third or fourth album I mean, you have introducing the beatles and then meet yeah, the beatles right and then all those other ones yeah it was the songs beatles versus and pe- the four seasons and all that stuff yeah the weird vj we, we covered that once that's such a great one it was like was here the beatles <laughs> tell all before yes i mean there, there's so much stuff there so the beatles second album right. is their ninth <laughs> right at least what it is and his second album is his uh, fourth well really his fifth if you count bangladesh so so there you go. Th- welcome casual <laughs> beatles fans <laughs> yeah we hope you enjoy it's, all, it's a numbers racket i mean really Really, that's what the Beatles were. It was a numbers racket. That's all it was. Let's, let's get down to it's it. the original yeah. Damon Runyon. Numbers operations take bets on number groups, usually three, in a given order. Five, three, seven, eight, six, nine. Uh, speaking of numbers, it did reach number one in the U.S. It knocked off Red Rose Speedway from the top of the charts. One. It spent five weeks at number one. Also number one in Australia and Canada. Only number two in the U.K. Two. I want to say the number one record was actually That'll Be the Day, the soundtrack, which Ringo was a part of. Yes, which I don't think that soundtrack was a hit in the States. I don't think that film really made a, a dent in the States as much, maybe. Oddly enough, Richard Dent liked it. <laughs> it was his He's, Brian song. <laughs> Richard Dent, one of the two bears to swear in the Super Bowl shuffle. <laughs> but get but get whistled. The sack man's coming. I mean, man, Dent is a quarterback slow. He's gonna get Dent. We stop the run. We stop the pad. I like to dump guys on there. <laughs> it's a penalty. They get a flag thrown on that. Um... Yeah, this was this album came out during a time of, you know, again, to pay homage to Terry Hammond, rampant Beatlemania. Yeah. I mean, this is an era of the Red and Blue albums. Right. Which created renewed Beatlemania. Totally. Um, in 73. And then, of course, you know, My Love leading the way with Red Rose Speedway. And then, of course, this record was 73 was like a renewed sweep of Beatlemania. So it's cool that there was this much chart action between George and Paul again. But I'll tell you something, Tony, this, as much as Give Me Love was a hit single, this album is still looked at as a bit of a forgotten, uh, some people call it a classic. Uh, This has never been one of my favorite George albums, and I've lived in it now for the last week or so in preparation, and I've got renewed appreciation for it. I can kind of see how it's forgotten, but maybe before we get into opinions, let's get a little more into the detail of the release and all that stuff, because yeah. this, w- this was a very successful and hit record. It was highly anticipated coming off the most recent Harrison album was Cons for Bangladesh. That was what the end of 71 that came out. 
Something like that. Right I, around I, or, maybe? I, or maybe it was 72. I forget. Cause I think it got tied up with all the, the record label, uh, red tape with all the different various right. artists. Dylan on Columbia and this being an app over the right. Yeah. The concert for Bangladesh was released in the United States on December 20th, 1971 and in Britain on the 10th of January 1972, with the same Apple Records catalog number, STCX 3385. Yeah, and then him trying to get the money for the charities was also a thing as well, because uh, Alan Klein had forgotten to uh, register this thing as a charity thing, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, he was too busy pilfering to, to <laughs> do correct things. It's true. Uh, working titles for this uh, included The Light That Has Lighted the World, which is a bit wordy. I will say he has the wordiest titles. He, he's not afraid to have put in a big old long sentence uh, as a title. Yeah. The original title for this was Major Happy's Up and Coming Once Upon a Good Time <laughs> Band. <laughs> George did fair fair we do have yeah and and you know everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey yeah yeah Sergeant right. Pepper's only hard club band sure 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 John and Paul did it too yeah. <laughs> John and Paul did it yeah. too but uh anyway yes uh, another working title was the magic is here again which I'm glad he didn't that's I don't know that's to me like hey look at me <laughs> I don't know yes but showy uh- but it's kind of meant to be, that was meant to be tongue in cheek, I'm pretty sure. Really? And, you know, yeah. he almost called, or I think Extra Texture is parenthetically called Oh No, Not Him Again, spelled as one word. Extra Texture's parenthetical title is Read All About It. However, the inner sleeve features a photograph of George with the caption, Oh No, Not Him Again. That's true. I mean, he's very playful. His humor is perhaps a bit dry for some, and I think a lot of people don't know when he's being jokey, and he gets taken seriously a lot. He's known as this quiet, serious, spiritual Beatle uh, person after the Beatles, but still considered a Beatle, of course, which was his uh, yeah. albatross or whatever. This, you know, he, he could never, they could never stop being Beatles ever again, you know, no matter what, you know. Yeah, I, I think especially in George's case, kind of perpetually being a Beatle, like in your words, was his first Fleetwood Mac record. Um, (laughs) I don't even know if Albatross was. I just went for it. Where's Albatross in the Fleetwood Mac? I know it's before they became the Go Your Own Way band, but I can't tell you anything else about it. I know Say You Love Me isn't on Albatross. The Go Your Own Way band is a funny, that's a funny, it sounds like a cartoon, like Hanna-Barbera band or something. Like all the animals like Scooby-Doo and uh, Huckleberry Hound. They all get together and jam out. We're the Go Your Own Way Band. (laughs) Howdy do, folks. Well, yeah, 
uh, let's do some background on this record. Uh, as mentioned, Alan Klein had failed to register the Bangladesh concerts with UNICEF. So uh, the U.S. and the U.K. De- tax departments were kind of hounding George on the proceeds for the album sales and etc. So everything was tied up in courts. Uh, to me, I, I see it this way. I feel like George is like, this is simple. These people need help. No one's doing anything about it. The governments, etc. I guess it's going to take me uh, and my Beatle power to to do this right. Does it right? Does two shows raises a bunch of money and awareness? And it's just kind of like, okay, I did it. Now, just take the cash, take the briefcase, and give it to uh, Bangladesh. And it just was like, no, can't do that because of business, garbage, red tape. And so I think this is a very frustrating time in his life. The morass of business. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it. It's And and while he's fighting with the other Beatles, that's what can't be lost in this. <laughs> right, right. Is, you know, as, as the Suyu Sumi Blues will tell us, that George is fighting all kinds of financial and spiritual demons on an album where he's also showing his quest for clarity through religion. And mm-hmm. it's a, this w- makes for one of the strangest juxtapositions of an album that's ever been released. Yeah, it really is. These t- he's he's on a tightrope between these two worlds: the material world and spiritual world. He's hanging around with this uh, Swami AC uh, Prabhupada, Prabhupada, Prab Prabhupada. Let me try that all again. <laughs> The Devil Wears Prabhupada, <laughs> <laughs> underrated film, better book, didn't read or see it. Well, yeah, I will say, yeah, he's a controversial character, this AC. He later renounced his beliefs, changed his name to AC Cowlings, and led uh, LAPD on that <laughs> chase, aiding and abetting OJ. No, but I mean, I'm doing a bit there. And then later became, later became, I'm doing a bit there, folks. I got another bit for you. Later became AC Green, the virgin power forward for the, your Los Angeles Lakers. Right. Then he changed his name to AC Slater, and uh, him and Screech hung out. They weren't the closest of friends. No. Uh, then he changed his name to air conditioner and they put him in a rental unit. <laughs> that, that guy. I like the fifth guy. The fifth guy on the couch. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> I will say, okay, so he's hanging out with this AC, this Swami, and I'm going to say this. That Swami's got some fucked up views, man. He's got fucked up views about women, blacks, Jews. One could say, TJ... The AC stands for Achi. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. The whole planet was very nicely governed by dictators. It is not that the women do not like rape. They like sometimes. All in the family was recorded on tape before a live audience. But no, for real, man, if you do some digging, like some of his quotes are uh. fucked up. Like, he, he, like he was like, you know, Hitler was not that bad. You know, it's that shit, man. <laughs> His homosex propaganda is another side of importance. Swami was his generation's Tucker Carlson. I'm talking Swami. He was a racist, fascist bag of shit. A swami had a coming home. Exactly. There you go. Like there it. you go. You did it. See, you did it in musical form. 
<laughs> Tried to. So he's hanging out with this guy. He's got a huge influence on a lot of his songs. Uh, you know, say what you will about the character, but maybe some of his messages, if you could like, you know, put your horse blinders on about the bullshit, you can see the good stuff or whatever, maybe. Uh, during this time, uh, George earned the nickname His Lectureship. <laughs> I mean, like he was devoting mm-hmm. so much time to this. His spirituality was messing up with his marriage. Like Patty started modeling again. Mm-hmm. She revived her modeling career, which George was against. Because <laughs> those guys were all like old school Northern England guys. Yeah. And then he's also getting, he's getting into cocaine and stuff. And fast cars. You know, he loves fast cars. That nice motor. He crashed his Mercedes in a roundabout at 90 miles an hour with Patty in the passenger seat. And that that was the second time he lost his driver's license in a year. The only good thing is the song Yes wrote about it. (laughs) (laughs) Roundabout. So yeah, there's the material world, cocaine, fast cars, rock stardom, but that the, but also like, oh, you know, hurry, 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 hurry. <laughs> this is just a funny detail, or I don't know what you want to call this, but during the recovery from that car crash, I guess Patty was in a bed and her recovery was impaired by George pounding on a drum kit in the next room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, what do you do? First of all, you live in this giant mansion. Friar Park is enormous. Like, put the drums in a... T- <laughs> put the drums somewhere else, George. Buy the next room. I think the true picture of George is one of being, especially in this era, probably pre-Olivia, uh, is being very difficult and drugged and unfulfilled. And I think it's one of the things I struggle with in this album as a whole is the preachiness of the spirituality is at a different level on this record. It's not just George singing about his own spirituality. It's really kind of evangelizing it on others mm. and mm-hmm. sometimes in a very dreary way. And, and you know, it's it's... The dichotomy of George equals the beauty of George because his yin and yang and the struggle he had between those two worlds, the material and the spiritual world, created one of the great artists in the history of music. It doesn't mean everything he wrote or performed or entire albums are fully satisfying. Well said, man. Well said. Now, he was kind of out of the public eye right after Bangladesh for about a year. So this is the first stuff we see from him. Right. But he did do some stuff in that year off professionally. He produced Back Off Boogaloo. Back Great single. It was a great single. Yeah. Uh, backed with Blind Man, your favorite. My favorite. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did not produce that one, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he should have. <laughs> how come that, how come Blind Man ain't in George's book with the lyrics? Yes. How come? Where he says nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he produced a song by uh, Lon and Derek Von Eaton, a couple of brothers from Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, Sweet Music was the song. The way to help them change their ways, the way to have them play. Just let them hear our guitars and feel us singing in their souls. Know the words by heart with sweet music. 
which he thought was a hit. A frustrated Harrison sent a telegram to Apple's marketing staff, quote, what the chick, 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 chick is the matter out there? Sweet music is a number one hit. It, uh, it did not uh, did not reach number one or the top 10 or the top 50. Is, I'm not sure it cracked the charts. I don't know where it charted, if it charted. Not a bad song, though. Yeah, it's, although is that, and I say this as someone who's very open-minded to any and all lifestyles, but is that the one where they're on the cover with each other naked, just kind of cuddling? <laughs> that would be their debut album, titled Incest. I mean, brother. Uh, yeah, well, uh. It, regardless, it did not do well. Uh, and George was frustrated by that. There's a period of, this is a period of frustration for him with, like, people. <laughs> yeah, and money. Yeah, and money, and money. Yeah. Uh, another song he produced, and this one he wrote, uh, I'll Still Love You When Every Song Is Sung. Gave it to Scylla Black. It sounds like a George's attempt at a James Bond ballad. Yeah. Especially like Yes, the, it's got that feel. There's a, there's a moment in the it's the 217 mark whoever's editing this. <laughs> there's like a vocal break in there that's very like I don't know. Put me in the mind of James Bond. Paul's about to do live and let die. You know what I mean? Like it's in the air. When every also played on Bobby Keys's solo album which I guess was like a big you know party fuck fest or whatever you know <laughs> I'm, I'm sure from conception to delivery <laughs> and then he played on Nilsson's You're Breaking My Heart so fuck you, that song. You know? I don't think I know that one. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't know it. Oh, it's crazy. It's like... You're breaking my heart. You're tearing it apart. So fuck you. Oh, cool. I don't know that. And he wanted to put it out as a single. <laughs> <laughs> I think even the record company was like, hey, can we just tone that song down a little bit or whatever? And he's like, nope. <laughs> All righty. Uh, so he plays on that, you know, so it's this, you know, he's also hanging out with the Lost Weekend crew. The other thing he did in preparing to record, he went off on a solo road trip where he said he he chanted the Hare Krishna mantra nonstop for a whole day. If that had been John and Yoko, they would have released it. 
Un- tetragrammaton. <laughs> Yoko? John? Yoko? John! Yoko! John! Yoko! What's the longest you've ever chanted, TJ? Um, uh, I had a flight uh, once on like a small plane going from Santa Barbara to LAX in a thunderstorm, and I was I was scream praying. <laughs> I don't want to die. <laughs> that's a, not a bad mantra. I mean, it's yeah. truthful, right? Yeah, that's the only time I've ever uh, really uh, mantraed for a long time out loud. What about you? Well, I don't chant, but. One time I I ate seven hot dogs on the self-serve hot dog cart at Rossi's, that tavern on State Street. (laughs) It's on a lunch break. (laughs) So, Uh, (laughs) Once I ate seven hot dogs at the Ross Dress for Less, they told me don't eat in here. (laughs) And I said, too late. And I threw it all back up. Because they were Chicago dogs without ketchup. I caught myself saying to my son a few weeks ago, like we were getting a hot, we were somewhere getting a hot dog. He went to catch my, and I'm like, what kind of monster am I? My yeah. seven-year-old wants ketchup, but you got to do it the Chicago way, you prick. Yeah, exactly. Eat, eat the sport pepper, kid. Like, Why don't you bring ketchup? What kind of asshole is going to put ketchup on a hot dog? A child, Richie. Child asshole. Yeah. Ketchup on hot dogs is a very uh, Chicago uh, sin. It's stupid. It's it's kind of stupid. stupid. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of yeah. stupid. Yeah. My hot dog, my choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about the recording. I mean, we've talked. Uh, yeah, we've talked about where he was in his life. He's in this strange place of like, am I Mother Teresa, the uh, the iconic charity guru, or am I in Motley Crue? You know. Right. <laughs> Uh, girls, 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 girls. Yeah. Simon Legg, the biographer, he said that uh, George was in a similar place to where John was during the help period, his uh, John's fat Elvis period. A uh, quote from George, I wouldn't really care if no one ever heard of me again. I would just want to play and make records and work on musical ideas. Maybe crash a few more Mercedes, play some drums around my ailing wife's face. <laughs> my ailing shared wife. I added <laughs> my ailing shared wife. Uh, I'm going to bang Maureen or, or, or I have already. I can't tell where we are in the timeline on that. <laughs> I think the answer is yes. <laughs> Not many songs left over from uh, the All Things Must Pass era. I think just one, really. And then nine of the 11 songs were copyrighted to the uh, Material World Charitable Foundation, something he yeah. learned from the whole Alan Decline Alan Decline debacle. Ron, Ron Decline is from the Ruddles. Right, That's, Ron yeah. Decline. Ron Decline. You ask me, where's the money? Where's the money? I mean, I don't know where the money is. I've never been good with figures. You know that. Yeah, and so those songs have been getting those royalties since for 50 years now, basically. Which especially, I mean, one of the longtime songs that play in bars all over the country is The Light That Has Lighted the World. So he's getting a lot of, <laughs> a lot yeah. of airplay. A lot of jukebox ass cap on that. <laughs> the original jukebox hero is Be Here Now. Remember now Be Here Now. 
yeah. which which is gorgeous. I'm not bagging. It on is that, gorgeous, but that's a that's a that's a last call. We're clearing the room. Right. So. <laughs> that or anything from approximately infinite universe. <laughs> no, that's not right. That's not right. That's, I'd say we'll, we'll do that some other time. Okay. All right. As well, you know, that. <laughs> Phil Spector was called in to produce and called and called. <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to George, Phil was never there. I'd go along the roof at the inn on the park. It's a hotel he was staying in. And climb in his window yelling, come on, we're supposed to be making a record. Then he used to have to have 18 cherry brandies before he could get himself down to the studio. That's what George mm. said. So You are natural, Phil. You can do anything you want to do. You can get the greatest band. You can do anything you want to do. Any color hair you want, any color beard you want, just do it. You got that love man. And we're all the better for it because as much as it might have fit all things must pass at the time, and it's certainly the Phil Spector'sization of that's locked into the beauty of the record for sure. This album sounds so much different. I love how this album's mixed, which we'll get into. This is one yeah. of my favorite mixed solo Beatles albums. Any pressing you hear, the clarity is so great, the stereo separation in this. It's a great album in terms of its sound quality, but it benefits from not having the overproduction of the All Things Must Pass stuff. This is an album that is much... There's a few songs that have, you know, horn arrangements, hashtag Jim Horn. That's a great last name if you're going to play an instrument. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's there's some other orchestral touches on songs. For the most part, it's a much more straight-ahead produced record, yeah. which allows you to hear more of George's guitar playing, the Nicky Hopkins piano in this thing is co- astonishing almost every every track he's on yeah. Gary Wright's playing keys too um but yeah thank goodness Phil Spector wasn't involved in this that was several years prior this is a cleaner record and i think this record is the better for it yeah he wanted to work with a smaller roster to the quote here is liberate the songs that's what you're speaking to uh give them room to breathe allowing the instruments to sparkle yeah so it's just like it's George playing guitars i think he did everything guitar wise on this Klaus is on bass, plays a little sax too. Keltner on drums. Ringo's there when he was not on set for uh, That'll Be the Day and Son of Dracula. He was also <laughs> filming at the time. The world's first rock and roll Dracula movie. The Son of Dracula is Nielsen at its hottest. Ringo at his magical magnificence. Horror at its funniest. <laughs> Son of Dracula, rated PG. So, yeah, it's mostly Keltner. Nicky Hopkins, as you mentioned. Gary Wright, as you mentioned. Jim Horn, as you mentioned. Uh, John Barham is the one who did the uh, orchestral and choral arrangements. Um, Okay. Not to be controversial. Let's hear it. John Barham. Which do you prefer, the arrangements on this or his playing on Achilles' Last Stand? (laughs) (laughs) And I know my classic rock, so what do you think? (laughs) I think you're thinking of John Bonham. Yeah, the string arranger. Yeah, the string arranger. <laughs> and the sting arranger. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Uh, <laughs> apparently Pete Ham and Tom Evans, the Badfinger brothers, they did some overdubs, but either they oh, did not appear on the finished record or they went uncredited. Probably the latter, given how those poor people had to live in their life. Yeah. Poor Badfinger. The, uh, the packaging on this was pretty interesting. You got a gatefold designed by Tom Wilkes. Other credits include the Red Album, Monterey Pop. Safe as Milk, the Beefheart record, Beggar's Banquet, the Janus record, Pearl, Neil Young Harvest. I mean, he worked. He did. He did a ton. Did he do the mini Pearl album, Janus? <laughs> if you'll pardon the expression, the ladies are gas now. It's time to introduce you to our favorite girl, the Nashville Sex Pot. Yeah, Miss Mini Pearl. So the front cover photograph, TJ, that is a Curlian photograph as opposed to a Molian or a Shemplian <laughs> photograph. Thank you. Thank See you. See your doctor if you've got a Molian <laughs> photograph. <laughs> a Curlian photograph, also known as an electrophotonic imaging or a corona discharge photography. Be careful with that. Get vaccinated. <laughs> if you're going to have a corona discharge photo taken at the Sears. <laughs> Put some lime in it. <laughs> Disease. So that's George's hand. It's basically, it's like a medical, I don't know what, but that's a that's not like a camera. I don't know what well, I'm that saying. That was done at, at, at UCLA. That yes. That was actually done at UCLA. Yes. UCLA's parapsychology department took that took that photograph and this was this was john wooden's favorite album john wooden (laughs) (laughs) was he the ucla coach have i made up a name about we had a number of years at ucla where we didn't lose a game but it seemed that we didn't win each individual game by the margin that some of our alumni had predicted and quite frequently i I really felt that they had backed up their predictions in a more materialistic uh, 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 manner john yeah john wooden I'm just going to keep saying John, it. John Wooden sounds like he's always aroused. That's what they used to call John Madden when his bone phone rang. <laughs> <laughs> the entertainers are here. Oh, Lord. You sound like George. <laughs> yeah, that's my mantra on this show. <laughs> So, right. So that kooky electrophotonic image was taken on the front cover. He's holding a Hindu medallion. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we don't have a font lover's corner on this because it's George's handwriting. But we do have a new segment we're calling uh, Beetle Handwriting Analysis. Oh, I missed this one in the meeting. I can't wait. <laughs> Beetle handwriting analysis. According to Record Mirror in 1964, the close formation of his O and A letters stresses that he is tactful and diplomatic. He thinks before leaping into an argument. The spacing between the lines shows he could make an excellent executive. If he has any ideas of going into business once his Beatle days are over, I'd say he stands a very good chance of making a complete success of the venture. Unless Alan Klein neglects to register this venture as a fundraising charity. Ha ha ha. Thank you for visiting. 
Beetle Handwriting Analysis. Well, that's a segment that ended with a joke. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, well. That was one of the notes we got from Casey. If we're gonna do Font Lover's Corner, make it funny. Yeah, he, so. Casey keeps saying, "Punch it up, punch it up." Yeah, punch it up. We you pun- punch it up, we Casey. We punch down on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're down punches. Hear that, old people? <laughs> we're Gen X. We just make fun of you from the couch. Yeah. Don't do anything. <laughs> Kids will fix it. <laughs> Kids will fix it. Fuck you. <laughs> I just want to know how you feel. Uh, so okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Handwriting analysis, a new segment here on the Untitled Beatles podcast. Uh, we should also mention the back cover famously provides details for the Jim Keltner fan club, which has the Wings logo it's in there. so funny. A response to Paul McCartney's Wings uh, fun club on um, yeah. Rev Rose Speedway. Uh, but you know the the image, his hand. You know what is holding on the back cover. The image on the back cover is George holding coins. These are American coins. George is holding on the back cover. So on the front, it's spiritual, and on the back, he's holding uh, American coins. Stay away from me. Two quarters and a silver dollar. So dollar fifty there. Yeah. Used to be able to buy a burger with that. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, the gatefold has an interesting picture of George. It's like a parody of the Last Supper with George uh, dressed as a priest. And he's the only one in color, right? Yeah, he's the only one in color. There's Ringo all the way in the end. You got Ringo, then there's Jim Horn, mm-hmm. Klaus, looking like a gangster. Uh, then on the other side, you got Nicky Hopkins, Keltner, and it's the face of Gary Wright photoshopped onto the body of the lawyer's house. That's uh, the the owner of the house, Abe Summer, entertainment lawyer. That was his summer house. <laughs> Make him feel fine. There you go. And then George dressed as a priest holding a six-shooter, which is a provocative image there. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure on the end of it is the... Uh, is that the Dark Horse logo? What's on the... Yeah, that might be the Dark Horse um, symbol. Oh. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Oh, I'm sorry. He's wearing that on his uh, lapel. Got it. There you go. Precursor. Now, I, I'm holding... Uh, I have the original Apple, but I've listened to the Apple vinyl. I also bought... This is the 2006 vinyl reissue of this is the first time this was ever reissued on vinyl they had throughout the 70s tony a bunch of solo solo beatles records in fact i think a couple john records and most of the george and ringo records capital reissued on their budget line oh with okay. and like rock and roll music they had a green label green, that's right. you can tell right and unfortunately when they did the budget reissues uh, living in the material worlds from the seventies on was no longer a gatefold. It was only a single, um, huh? A single record, and on the back, over the cover, you had all of the titles and information from the inside. Hmm. But in two thousand, yeah, yeah, in two thousand six, they re- re- reissued this, and it comes with this gorgeous booklet that gives some information from Kevin Howlett. If oh, you that's can, cool. If you can find it, I highly recommend it. It's the 2006 first final reissue. It also tacks Deep Blue and Miss Odell on the B-side as bonus tracks, which is kind of fun. Onto the vinyl? Yeah, onto the oh, vinyl. Oh, that's cool. 
but it's it's a beautiful set. The 2014 vinyl remasters don't have the bonus tracks. I don't think they have this booklet, but the 06, the okay, first man. time ever issued on vinyl. It sounds gorgeous, but this was an album I think George took interest before he died, Tony, in being involved in the remastering. I think this was the next project had George lived following All Things Must Pass. So while George wasn't involved in this, the care this was given in 06 versus say an extra texture or a dark horse or even yeah. the 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 dark horse label years stuff this was given a loving vinyl reissue before the vinyl boom took place again which showed that the Harrison estate clearly recognized what an important record this was and as we said largely forgotten how many classic rock fans or even beatle fans talk about this record tony it doesn't it doesn't come up yeah you're right, man. You're right. And I wonder if it has to do with like its mellow nature and also it's like heavily spiritual nature. You know, there's parts of this time it does. It feels like you're at church, you know, for a minute. And, you know, that's not everyone's bag or you have to be in it. I mean, you do. You you have to put your mind in a certain place, basically outside of the material world. How many of us are living outside of the material world, it's, especially in this, you know, your cell phone is the material world. That's like, the, the irony of streaming the song living in the material world. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, George didn't live to see streaming, of course. Um, but yeah, I, one, and I did want to say one more time, uh, and I wish I knew who mastered this originally. I had it noted down, but whomever mastered this, maybe P3Z Nuts can tell us, <laughs> the mastering of this original is great, and it makes the remaster. I don't think there's ever been a remix of this, but the remaster right. of this is so good. It's one of my favorite sounding solo Beatles records in terms of tone and vibe. It was mastered by legendary mastering engineer Doug Sachs, whose credits include Who's Next, The Wall, and The Jazz Singer by Neil Diamond. You are over your limit of complimentary fact checks for this episode. This fact will cost you and each listener $14.99. The inner sleeve in the original pressings, Tony, is absolutely beautiful. I'm holding a copy of this right now. Yeah, man. This came the original pressings and the 06 reissue. I'm assuming it was in the 2014 reissue, which I didn't buy because I how much better is going to be eight years later. Um, but tell us a little bit about this image. Thank you, TJ. Uh, <laughs> that is a colorful illustration. It's taken from uh, something called uh, Bhagavad Gita as it is. As it is, yeah. Great Harry Styles tune. Take it, Casey. <laughs> as it was, as it was. Yes, I believe that it's a it's an illustration as part of this uh, this epic tale. Uh, it's a Hindu uh, epic, they call it. And that's uh, what do you call it? That's the uh, 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 Krishna and Arjuna. 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 These are characters in the epic. But I know very little about the epic. That's I haven't I haven't read the epic or experienced the epic. Or, but I I, I did perform it once dinner theater uh, in the uh, Missouri area. <laughs> Best place. They love the Iliad and they love the epic. I mean, it was next to yeah, it was next to an Indian restaurant in a strip mall. <laughs> yeah, so it was a very yeah. Someone made some comment about how like when this record came out, it was at the height of the glam rock era, and that like glam rock kids might like they might dig like the duds that the the the, the Krishna is wearing or whatever the characters are wearing. And that didn't come true. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. All glories to Sri Krishna, it says on the bottom there of the uh, gatefold sleeve. Oh, and uh, one last thing on the packaging. The actual labels themselves also are thematically tied into the whole thing. different A side, different B side. The A side has the Krishna and Arjuna painting. Arjuna. And the B side is the, the stretch limo. Well, and the double beetle connection is that's the same stretch limo where people were doing mounds of cocaine in during the Sgt. Pepper film when they sing a 26-minute version of I Want You and that one, I want you so bad. Same limo, different network. (laughs) Same limo. Yeah, you can catch that limo on tour coming to a city near you. Uh, <laughs> Starguard Pepper Limo, no, <laughs> featuring uh, Pete Best. Well, shall we go track by track? Yeah, before we get into the track by track, I just want to sum up the album generally, though, Tony. Let's do and, it. And, you know, I, this album only gave us one single. We're going to get to that song in mm, just a moment. Right, yeah. There was a, supposed to be a second single. But given how many songs came from All Things Must Pass and the fact there was only one single from this and the fact that his follow-up album to this, Dark Horse, was, you know, a struggle. It was not a great album, and his voice was largely shot from a lot of the rehearsals. A little bit. This album is like, in many respects, the end of the greatness of his Apple Records career because Extra Texture and Dark Horse, Extra Texture is a bounce back from Dark Horse for sure, but it's not as good as this. And yet, compositionally, there are other George Harrison albums I would rather listen to. This is not my second favorite George Harrison album. Interesting. I, I, yeah. I, I would rather hear Brainwash. I believe the songs mm. are better on the self-titled George Harrison album. Right, 79. So this might be my number four. I, I prefer this to 33 and a third. I prefer this to Gone Tropo. I prefer this to Somewhere in England. So it's not low on my list. But... The fact that this album has so many musical and lyrical contradictions, that he's spiritual, he's in love, he's angry, he's bitter, he wants more, he wants what he has. <laughs> this, in many respects, to me, is his Plastic Ono band. And I realize yeah. it's not the same tonally. Uh, some of the same players, Hello Klaus. Hello Klaus, Thursdays on <laughs> Germany's home for comedy. <laughs> right, um, just after German cheers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to think about what the German Cosby show is. <laughs> I, think, I think our Cosby show was the German Cosby show. <laughs> well, then I don't want to know what the German family ties is. <laughs> No, we love you, Germany, if you're listening. I'm not sure. We have a lot of international listeners. Yeah, ein bisschen. Ich habe das in Schule gelernt. So, all right, all right, all right. Here we go back to this record. Yeah, it, it's certainly different tonally from Plastic Ono Band, but in terms of George's, uh, George's reaching out to both preach and vent to his audience, it, it has the same level of catharsis and depth of Plastic Ono Band to me. And uh, that's not a comparison I made until I lived in this record for a week and just listened to the myriad copies again. But taken as a whole, yeah, it's the most confessional George record. I mean, maybe brainwashed as well, because a few of those tracks are written and recorded as he was dying. But this album, at least with his life still ahead of him, which is a, a sad thing to say, given how, you know, young he died, this album is the most confessional, I think, of his entire career. 
I agree, man. I agree. And I know a lot of George defenders would then say, like, he wasn't being preachy. He was speaking for himself to himself as well. And we'll touch on that as we get into the individual songs. But yes. Uh, and yet that's in the interpretation, not the delivery. If you feel like you're being preached to, you're not wrong. I agree with you, too, because that's that's how I interpreted a few of these things as well. And it's also, yeah, why I probably had, didn't give this record as many spins as I would, honestly, Dark Horse. I give Dark Horse more spins than this, but... Like you said, after having spent a week in this record kind of prepping for this, like I, I really got to uh, appreciate it more. Yeah, just like you did. Yeah. Am I crazy about the record? I kept going back to like how gloriously this was recorded and mixed. Did yeah, you, it's better. Did, did you actively notice when you were listening to this, like, wow, this is just a well-recorded 70s album? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And it's because it doesn't have the Phil Spector wall of reverb going on, you know, with the exception of maybe one one of the songs has some reverb going on. But yeah, it doesn't feel crowded. It doesn't, I don't feel claustrophobic the way I do with some of those songs on uh, All Things Must Pass. Yeah. Where there's 50 people playing at you, you know? Often for seven minutes at a time. Yeah. 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 I agree with the assessment that these songs have room to breathe with less people. I mean, it's just, I think it's math, you know? Yeah. And that's all the time we've got this week. We'll be back next week with a track-by-track breakdown of the record. Hi, it's producer Casey. Just wanted to remind you, if you like what we do, please like and subscribe and tell your friends about the show. Really quick, we also just wanted to send a word of support to the fine folks of the Writers Guild of America, forced to strike this week. We are with you. And if anybody here is listening in New York or L.A., maybe go bring a pizza to the picket line. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next Saturday to wrap up just in time for the 50th anniversary of George Harrison's Living in the Material World. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe. Well, then I don't want to know what the German family ties is. <laughs> Manchmal glaube ich, wir kennen uns seit tausend Jahren. Und ich wette, dass es tausend schöne Jahre waren. Featuring Mallory as Eva Braun. Um, <laughs> Teeny Others was weird casting for Rudolf Hess in this odd family ties recast of the Nuremberg Trials. <laughs> The little word, if you're ever trying to go, go to Germany, you need to know is genau. It means like, yeah, okay. Genau. You say that to virtually everything. Genau.